Right. What are we doing this, D? <clears throat> you ready? We rolling? You got your big clock out? <laughs> I said clock. <laughs> and for those radio listeners at home, he is currently holding a very large clock. <laughs> Tick tock. <laughs> Not ding dong. Right, let's do it. <clears throat> so I have to clear my throat. Uh, hello and welcome to Business Without Bullshit. I am Andy Uri and alongside me is Emma Florentine Lee. Hello, Emma. Hi, Andy. <laughs> Today we're joined by Charlie Spencer and Sam Bulmer from Spera. Um, Charlie, Sam, how are you doing? Hi, doing well. well, thanks. How are you? Very good, very good. Uh, Charlie is head of product and strategy, and Sam is head of finance at Spera, whose aim is to develop a net zero solution for the shipping industry. Now, they're talking about finding ways to build these huge marine craft, uh, what are they called? Cargo ships that basically power all the world. But as you'll discover, are really an environmental disaster in international waters. And they're here to save the day. Their focus is on the efficiency and the use of available free energy and closed loop emission free renewable fuel source. Now, that's the more technical way of saying it. So. Hence my uh, rather uh, opening intro. So um, let's get down to it, Charlie and Sam. So we always like to start with a, a simple question, which is what, what's keeping you guys up at night? I think for me, um, you know, the maritime industry is a law unto itself. Uh, you know, they uh, can base themselves wherever the politics and uh, the business climate is most favorable to them. So there really is no forcing function that is going to drive positive change within that industry, which means that we, whatever solution come up with, um, has to be commercially competitive to be adopted. And that means we're up against the fossil fuel industry, which as we all know, is heavily subsidized and incredibly well established. I mean, uh, the like, latest IMF report from uh, 2020 says that uh, fossil fuels are currently subsidized to the tune of six trillion uh, globally, annually. So competing against that uh, in a free market is, is, uh, is challenging, to say the least. On your website, you've got a rather lovely um, picture, and a picture speaks a thousand words of a sort of cargo ship with sails. And you think back to this country, its great history, maritime nation, and you know you, you don't have to go long back before it was absolutely net zero, it was sail power. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and can't we get back there? There, we absolutely can, and that's one of the things that we're trying to do. Um, there's a misconception that you know wind power isn't sufficient to power uh, ocean-borne transport, but it really can, and that's one of the things we're trying to prove. So for the industry's point of view, money rules. Yes. You've got a sort of toxic combination of no law regulation. Right. Is there any law and regulation? Yeah, there is. There's the IMO, but they're very slow acting. I mean, they've set themselves the target of reducing emissions by 50% by 2050. Um, and that's already been analyzed and, and shown that single-handedly can derail the Paris Accord if that's all they do. Isn't that the, what everyone's aiming for, isn't it? 50%? No, it's much earlier, isn't it? Yeah, 2030. Well, I mean, they vary, but yeah, um, significant and, reduction. And, and, and 50% of a lot is still a lot. Right, and that's the problem. The The whole uh, industry is still growing, right? So even if they, put on a per-ship basis, reduce their emissions by 50%, the overall emissions are still going to climb because the industry is growing. I think people would like to hear, give me, because you told me some, you know, about the oil they use, like, give, give me a bit more, you know, give us a sense of how shit this is. Frankly. So, this is the problem, right? I mean, uh, they can kind of fly under the radar because they say, well, first of all, uh, ocean-borne transport is the most efficient form of transport in a per-ton 
per mile wow. uh, per CO2 emitted basis. But the problem is that you know uh, ocean transport carries 90% of all trade, so there's a huge amount of goods being transported. And the fuel they're using is the bunker crude. It's the sludge that's left over when you refine gasoline and make you know more uh, uh, commonly known or publicly visible products uh, like we pump into our cars. Um, and this stuff is filled with so many toxic chemicals. It, it pumps out this stuff called black carbon, which is one of the most uh, you know cancer-causing substances known to man. Um, they estimate that pollution from shipping alone uh, is responsible for up to 400,000 premature deaths per year. Uh, 6.4 million cases of childhood asthma per year. Um, and actually, the UK is one of the fourth most affected countries in the world from shipping pollution on a per capita uh, premature death basis. So it is a huge problem. It's only 3% of global CO2 emissions, but if you look at the CO2 equivalent, where they, they sort of look at the climate impact of the other gases emitted by shipping, things like nitrous oxides, uh, particulate matter like black carbon, Sulfur dioxide. Yeah, sulfur dioxides, uh, they they equate to about double that impact in terms of global warming. And that's just looking at the global warming aspect, not the health impacts from all of these chemicals being emitted. What's the tipping point for you? I mean, you're you're working on technology to design a ship at the moment, fundamentally, or is it much more... So, uh, we think that the first thing is to utilize as much free available energy en route as possible. So that's wind assistance, right? And if we can get the burden of the required onboard energy down enough, that frees us up to utilize much cleaner fuel sources. Because that's the problem with a lot of these new fuels like hydrogen and uh, uh, renewable e-fuels, methanol, ammonia, is that they don't have the energy density of fossil fuels. And so you need to have a lot more of them on the ship to make it across the ocean. Which itself makes it less efficient. Right. So if you can get most of the energy you need from the wind en route rather than cramming it all onto the ship at the start, it lets you utilize these lower energy density fuels just as like sort of a backup basis. Uh, and then that gives you your complete zero emission solution. Does it wasn't the always the thing is why we have the slave trade and someone's going to freak out when they hear that but the, the the ships couldn't get across the Atlantic so they went south and then they had people you know don't, don't you doesn't it change the routing so this? yeah I mean that was uh, that's where the term trade winds come from right is uh, basically ships had to follow the wind thankfully uh, aerodynamics and and general you know understanding of uh, propelling vessels uh, using the wind has improved since and that's actually definitely one of our core competencies we're very lucky to have some guys on our uh, com- in our company and actually I found a Rob who led aerodynamic development at Tesla for about eight years um, who really understand the basic fundamentals and, and that's one of the technologies we're developing is something that will let you get more energy from the wind in more unfavorable wind angles so that it can so you support. could kind of go where you want to go With, right. and you've also got a bit of power absolutely so you yeah. sort of you can assist it and and I'm sure it's computers and modeled and the computer can kind of say okay yeah we'll take this much as it were and and how you got this is a huge problem to solve so you know, how are you sort of, you know, I don't know, even breaking it into bits? Or? So we're relying heavily on virtual tools. Obviously, we can't just go ahead and build a 200 million prototype ship. Um, you know, uh, finding an investor that would just be happy to sign off on that is probably not going to happen very quickly. Um, so we're relying heavily on virtual tools. But what we're finding is that within Maritime, the uh, the available virtual tools that have been developed by industry other industries are really underutilized. Um, so we're, we're, we're quite confident that we can do a really good job with these virtual tools and show with high confidence that these solutions can work uh, and, and, you know, uh, trial out things until we find that optimum solution in a very sort of low-cost environment. 
So this is a big problem. Big problems, you know, it's like, what is the rules of startup? It's like, it used to be a big problem, you know, what's the problem you're solving, do you know? And then secondly, you need the sort of passion for it to do it. Because, bloody hell, this is a long journey. Well, that's the the problem as well. The pressure we feel is that, yes, it's a long journey, but we really don't have a lot have of time. time. We, yeah. we have to fix this and we have to fix yeah. it quickly. It's uh, things are deteriorating rapidly. I mean, we're, we're feeling it in this country, we're feeling it around the globe, um, and we have to make rapid change. And, and that's one thing the maritime industry has been very resistant to is rapid change. So we have to very quickly iterate, show a solution. Who controls the maritime industry? There's sort of, is it... Is it, is it uh, well, the, the IMO, technically. No, is, I sort of meant in company terms. You know, who controls most of the vessels they've all got those famous logos on them I mean yeah there's there's big, big Marshall operators. Islands for example and uh, like Maersk MSC Maersk yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. and there are a lot of them are Dutch I would assume Danish is yeah. Maersk yeah. Yeah. yeah any Brits we've got a British one I'm going to now fly the flag and burn it at the same time. Uh, not among them. Not as many as you'd like. No, no, certainly none of the, uh, of the big ones no uh, it's quite sad really considering our heritage um, but well, yeah, maybe maybe there's something uh, fresh there. Yeah, that's unusual, but yeah, the Dutch seem to lock that down. At the end of the day, we're an island. Right. So we don't have the port, you know, we bring everything to us, but it's all yeah, coming Yeah, so you think we'd have a bit more of a kind of input in it, given we yeah. are an island nation. Yeah, but I think the content, the big land masses is where you get the big shipping. We did at one point have a, a navy that was the envy of the world, right? And an empire to match. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't... Oh, don't that's another roll. whole... Uh, <laughs> okay, now we've got a union jack. <laughs> D, we should have a union jack for these moments that just uh, just unfurls from the wall. It would just be great, wouldn't it? You know, and then and God, God Save the King comes on for just a minute. We'll stand up. God save and then it ends really quickly. That'd be wonderful. But I mean, that's a, that's a big question and a big uh, topic, I think, in its own right is really is, is what's kind of happening in the UK, right? Uh, there's, uh, I think it's political instability that's sort of driving a lot of uh, people away. I think, you know, uh, from our history, Andy, uh, we've seen personally that, you know, technology is just, uh, or technology startups are, are looking for security. They're looking for, uh, you know, a stable base of operation. And just with everything that's been happening in the last few years in the UK, it just hasn't presented itself as, a, as an attractive target. And, and that's one of the things we need to change to, to change that. How's the shipping industry um, rebounded since COVID? Because obviously all the ships are in the wrong place. They've done pretty well, actually. Uh, yeah, they're, they're going kind of from strength to strength. You're seeing companies with Maersk with something like 8 billion of cash on hand and things like that. So they're, they're, they're not suffering. Is that where the investment would come in? Potentially. Uh, we're, we're, right, we're, we'll take it from wherever it comes. Because <laughs> really, where's the, who's kind of pushing this um, low emissions at sea. Who's responsible for that, that? That was kind of my first point, right? There, there, is there isn't no anyone. Yeah. yeah, and that's why I'm saying that we have to find a way to make the solution the most yeah. commercially viable. If we provide an option for the shipping industry to adopt, then I think that uh, puts us on a much better heading than just complaining about it. So Sounds like they've got the uh, money in their back pocket to help you along mm. the way. At the there moment. are things being done. So the, uh, the European Union is obviously trying to implement a carbon tax, but it just keeps getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And so it's just... It's it's difficult to count on things like that actually affecting change. What, what do you need to help you do that? I mean, if you had infinite money, but you, say, you know, is that is that is that the reality? Well, no, I think I think the solution is is really rather simple. If we hold companies to account for their negative environmental impacts, then the problem solves itself, right? If if you consider all of the implicit and explicit subsidies aboard, afforded to fossil fuels, um, green solutions are by far the more commercially viable. 
it's just because we're competing against an industry that is so heavily subsidized and is not being held accountable for the damage they're causing. I mean, the, there's different studies out there, but some estimate that the uh, you know the the social cost of one ton of CO two is something up uh, in the region of two thousand dollars. I mean, and have seen different estimates, some as low as maybe one hundred and eighty seven, but it's significant, right? I mean, and this is healthcare costs, this is uh, uh, flood damages, hurricanes, all of this stuff, and it's not being paid for. If the companies that are burning the fossil fuels had to pay for that, then they would suddenly go, oh, actually, it's much cheaper to use hydrogen or, or to use cell power. Uh, but we don't. We don't hold them accountable. I think also what's happening, especially with the way the world's dividing at the moment with the sort of China, Russia and us, is, is that it's going to become more lawless. Like, like the, the, it's so easy to break the law and just do what the hell you want. I mean, look at the oh, the great example of the, the, the ban on Russia. And right. Now, of course, now they're it trading was flowing oil. easily. Yeah. Lots of people were just like, well, fucking, I'll take a few extra quid and bung it around the side, mate, in some old... Do- it all creates all this thing where the vehicles are dodgy, everything's dodgy. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They have this situation now where, you know, uh, tankers are, are swapping fuel in the middle of the Atlantic. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and dropping again, air. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And no one gives a shit, you know. And and what, what you know what I draw back to the individual, you know, like these people are all desperate living in the short term. Do you know what I mean? It, it's sort of if people are corrupted or desperate, then they don't care. They'll yeah. do anything, you know. Absolutely. But this is again a case where I'm I'm thinking I I don't understand it because energy independence uh, frees you from all of that, right? Uh, all this lawlessness. If you if you have distributed cheap, available, clean energy. Then you know these people lose their power. Um, you know, countries like Russia won't have this stranglehold over Europe. We would have independence from them, and uh, yeah, it's it's a solution in its own and right. That's the, that's the principle that um, if you want peace, and the next sort of stage forward for society is uh, free, unlimitless energy, which we are scientifically. Theoretically, if we all work together in the position to basically produce, yeah, pretty much. I mean, we're we're, we're pretty close there. And and I got to say, actually, England is doing a good. Oh, sorry, the UK is is doing because the wind power. Yeah, we, I I didn't even know the two largest offshore wind farms in the world are British. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One's near London. You yeah, know. no, absolutely. In March, I think something like eighty percent of the energy uh, supplied to the grid was from renewable energy. Piss off. <laughs> That's a good stat. It's going to be that, like a catch twenty two. It's like some miserable, windy, rainy day <laughs> again, love. But then they'll be like, oh, "Good for the energy. It's good for the garden, and it's good for those little wind turbines, darling." It's like fucking wind turbines. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Business Without Bullshit is brought to you by Ori Clark, straight-talking financial and legal advice since 1935. You can find us at oriclark.com. Okay, so this is, you know, this is an important question for us, which is, what do you think is bullshit in business? I think really long in, uh, and formal meetings are a real pain. What's long to you? I don't know, like an hour. Like I don't think um, I don't think you should ever have an hour-long formal meeting because unless it's like a literally a board meeting, you just need to get the the vital points shared, and then we can all get on with our day and get get moving on the actual project. I think it's very um, to to go through the rigor of uh, this step, this step, this step. Every every meeting is um, often a waste of time. This was a huge bugbear of uh, Elon's uh, at Tesla and. And uh, he actually sent around an email basically saying, like, if you do not feel like you're contributing to a meeting, walk out. You know, just just get out of there and get on with your job. Uh, he hated meetings. Uh, I was actually shocked at how few meetings we got away with at Tesla uh, because you basically, 
if you had a problem, you just went to the desk of the guy that you had the problem with and uh, you fixed it, right? No, you don't. Give us a little more. I'm sure everyone's fascinated, a little more insight. Uh, you, you see it with Twitter and Elon and, you know, he's clearly a pretty fe- fearless businessman. He's like, right, we're going to change the fucking world. You're on board or not? But give us a sense of what it was like to work there, like you're talking about no meetings or... I mean, it was terrifying in many respects. Uh, um, the guy was very hands-on and had uh, an excellent memory. You and you, do, you dealt with him on regular occasions? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, he handled excellent my... memory uh, of every little conversation going on. Yeah, so. he actually handled my exit interview. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, quite a terrifying moment in its own right. But, um, no, he... He would, on a weekly basis, sort of survey the troops, as it were. You know, he would actually come and sit behind your desk and sort of get hands-on oh, details. Oh, Christ! Yeah, yeah. And he would remember better than you what you said that week and uh, also the week prior and, and what you'd promised wow, him. Wow, very intelligent. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it was it was high pressure. And literally, it, that's the kind of the cadence that Tesla was uh, was on. It was on a weekly sort of like, get everything ready for Elon on the Friday review. Uh, and, uh, you know. And he'd come and sit behind your desk for sit with you yeah. 20 minutes, how long it and, and sometimes, like, you'd be working and, uh, you know, it wasn't even really announced. You'd just suddenly be there. Oh, that's <laughs> why he doesn't need meetings. And this is one of those things that at the end of the day, you need one person to run the show. Because if he is clever enough, A, memory is based on how much you care about something. So if he, you, we can all remember an incredible amount if we want to, if we care about it. Yeah. You know, you, you find yourself remembering. Anyway, um, but yeah, if he was clever enough to hold the picture in his head, of what they were trying to achieve and everyone's particular, because they don't know where they're going, but everyone's particular position and all the negotiations are all along that line. You don't need meetings because you have a true you trumpet master. Yeah. But the, uh, the the very sort of um, fear-inducing thing was that if he lost confidence in you, you were gone. You know, there was no sort of like wow. three-month intervention period, meetings with HR or buck your ideas up or we'll just put you on another idea. No, if he lost confidence in you, you were out. I, I would recommend that policy to a business though. And yeah. unfortunately, you've got to be pretty ruthless if you're a high-performing business. Yeah, yeah. And particularly when Tesla was just starting out and sort of, you know, the 2008 through to uh, 2012, uh, which were really the hard years, um, I think it was necessary for their survival that they were that cutthroat, but it did not make it for a very pleasant working environment, that's for sure. At what point did you join the company? It sounds uh, very I, early on. I was there from 2010, and they were about 500 uh, employees at that point, and then I left in uh, 2015, and they were at, I think, about 18,000 at that point. My gosh, and what lessons did you learn working there that you think you'd bring into your business now? I mean, I think it's, first of all, it's question everything, you know, uh, make sure that you really understand the problem you're trying to tackle, um, and and don't get caught up in the bullshit, you know, don't have extensive meetings, focus on the problems you're trying to solve and, and the quickest way to solve them. And don't be afraid to fail, but fail fast so that you learn from your mistakes. Manufacturing businesses, I think, are the toughest business of all. So manufacture is just so incredibly difficult. But um, your objective's quite clear and the problems are probably quite clear. I think the thing is with most businesses, they don't really know what... They don't really know what they're doing, you know, as in like, you don't know until you talk about it. I mean, I think maybe the thing is our experience is a professional service business, which is an awful lot like that. You've got a partnership, you've got lots of different, everyone's like a miniature business, basically, with different, and I don't know, you know, we require quite a lot Mm. of discussion. I think with an engineering company, you tend to have a start point and a known end point, and you're trying to build something or solve a problem, and as you said, it's quite objective. It is, but there are a lot of problems that can develop along the way, and the problem is, is that you don't know the problems until you build the thing, and getting to the point where you can actually build the thing is a huge amount of, you know, very capital and time-intensive work. Uh, It's it's, uh, costs 
about, they reckon, a billion dollars to get a, a car into production because you have to spend all this money on, on you know, really uh, high endurance tooling. Um, so it's it's high risk because you may make a very big mistake and not really find out about it until you've already paid for all this tooling. And then you have to retool, and that is exceptionally expensive. You need the leadership there. You need the Elon, someone who's coming along and talking to all the individuals and yeah. giving them permission. Yeah enabling it. Exactly. You need one person that's willing to go and put in the sweat equity to understand the problem from all the different stakeholders and then come up with a solution. Yeah. Well, um, we've got to change the world. So people, get on with changing the world and do less meetings. So uh, this is a five-second rule. Going to keep it nice and short and punchy. We've got a uh, double header here. They went to school together. I'm going to find out all about them. Um, this is where we're going to say things. You've got about five seconds to answer. DQ the music. And uh, Emma, off you go. What was your first job? I was a dish pig at a wine bar and restaurant. Oh, sorry, kitchen porter. And I watched mini buses in the weekends. Yeah. What was your worst job? Uh, silver service for the big conference hotels around Heathrow. Yeah, we've all been there. And, uh, and uh, walking a dog for 50p a, uh, an hour. Uh, it was probably, it was a good job, but just no, keeping it up it was terrible. <laughs> Who the fuck did you? I thought you were going to say 50p a mile. I was saving towards a mountain bike, and uh, I realized it was going to cost me uh, about, it's going to take me about 70 years to save up for this mountain bike, so I quit <laughs> after finding that out. Very good. Uh, favorite subject at school? Design technology. Me, me too. Mm-hmm. Why does people say drama design tech? I didn't get to do any of that, did you? Anyway, no. oh, sorry, that was my one. Was that it's your all one? right, yeah. I'll take your next one. What's your special skill? I think for me, uh, I, I hesitate to say this, but communicating in a highly technical manner in a way that's a bit more understandable, I'd say. Good and, skill. And for me, it's, uh, I think I, I get a good sense of reading people's motivations and interests. Yeah, I think that's a good oh, skill. Oh, scary. Sarah. <laughs> Go on, do another one. <laughs> what do you want to be when you grow up? I feel bad saying this now, but I want to be an architect. <laughs> <laughs> and then you realised you wouldn't know how but to build the actual building. Actually, no, it was apathy. I, I found out you had to study for seven years. I was like, oh, God, no, screw that. Yeah, it puts a lot of people... Again, you've got to wonder who these people are. You know, you've got to worry about them anyway. Um, for me, it was a pilot like my grandpa or an inventor. Ooh, I wanted to be an inventor. We need to talk about your granddad now. He's clearly not done something. He's done, but wait, wait, we'll come back to it. Cool. Uh, what did your parents want you to be? They were pretty liberal. They just wanted me to do whatever I wanted to do, but with passion. Mm, same. What's your go-to karaoke song? Uh, Take On Me by Aha. Uh-huh. Oh. Take On... No, it's strangely, it's one of my favourite songs. My son listens to it constantly at the moment. I have it on... Uh, anyway. uh, that was a, a joke, by the way. I would never try to sing that song. Is it hard? <laughs> Is it hard? Hey, you know it. Take On Me... Yeah, try to hit that note. <laughs> oh, my God! It's super high! Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, wow, yeah. Uh, I, and I desperately try and avoid it. I think no person should have my singing voice inflicted on them, so... Choose, if you have to do if you do one, I learned this, choose tequila. Yep. Yes, by the yeah. champs. Office dogs. <clears throat> business or bullshit? Business, but they should be treated like employees, so the bad ones need to get fired. Great way of putting it. Is that what they did at uh, Tesla or something? Uh, no, they they pretty much let them run riot. They were like taking bites out of the clay and just... You, you, know. can't, you, can't, you can't have the crazy dogs no, and then they no, come no. together. Yeah. What about you? Um, I think for 95% of the time, it's a brilliant idea because it brings out the humanity in people, and, and especially in the office and mm. the workplace. 
Uh, but I was on train recently and um, I saw this lady absolutely horrified at this lovely Labrador uh, just sort of pacing up and down the, the train. And I just think for some people, it really doesn't work. Have you ever been fired? Came very close, but uh, yeah, Tesla, uh, but no. Whoa. I think that's the story. Does Elon do it? Yeah, we'll come back to that. We've got to talk lots about Tesla. I mean, what a company. And, and what, you know, what, what leaders too. Um, what's your vice? I mean, where do, we, where do you start? Uh, a glass of red wine, uh, beer, uh, expensive kitchen gadgets, uh, commenting on expensive articles kitchen, uh, uh, online. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you do the thing, oh, do you? Oh, yeah, when you see somebody making some <laughs> stupid argument, you're like, no, I'm yeah. not having that. Yeah, there's good, you know what I like? There's trolls and then there's the good police out there. My, my friend Doug's one of these. He's just like, he's the most intelligent, knowledgeable person and he has the time. He was like, they don't understand that I have the time, information <laughs> and inclination to set this story. So she just exhausts people, you know, just like, I'm going to make, he's so fair too. Anyway, if you, you um, I'm a very simple person, lemon sorbet, that's it. That's oh, it. That's a beautiful that's, answer. I actually believe that that might actually be his only advice. We've done it. Oh, that's it. What should we go back to? Uh, pilot, granddad. What's that all about? Uh, so my grandfather was a pilot for British Airways. I think uh, ah. he used to fly the Queen around. Um, oh, uh, he amazing. was very senior and uh, a lovely man. So uh, that was probably why I idealized uh, his profession and him as a person. I think it's quite, it's mm. that walking through the airport. Yeah. I could see with, you being uh, a yeah. pilot. You, oh, really? You have yeah. a pilot Thank look you about much. you, especially with the, with the headphones. Compliment. Thank you. <laughs> you need to be very calm. You need the calm demeanor. I think mm-hmm. me and Charlie, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the voice. Yeah, the confident oh, voice. Oh, yeah. I like the Australian, uh, the Australian pilots will be like, all right, everybody, we're all on board now, aren't we? Oh, we're going to be in for a tremendous fight tonight. So, you know, you strap yourselves in, folks. You feel really like, yeah, let's do this, man. You know, England's like, the weather is uh, light, Porter. He's just trying to tell you what the fucking weather is. He's like, who cares what the weather is? Like, I'm in a plane. Let's <laughs> just fucking shut up. Is there anything you'd like to tell the listeners to check out? I mean, obviously check out our website, spera.eco. Um, and, uh, What's the name? Why Spera? So Spera is uh, actually an Italian word. Uh, we, we'd have an Italian on uh, on our team uh, that, that sort of brought it to our attention. But it, it, it signifies, you know, a, a sphere or a globe, which is uh, important to what we're trying to get to, which is sort of, you know, a circular economy within shipping, uh, sustainability. Uh, so nice. that's the whole idea nice. behind it. Yeah, we should spell that as well. Um, oh, yeah. S P A E R A. Oh, I like it. You've known each other a long time. That was in Unisil. Um, So there you have it. That was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. Thank you very much to Sam, Charlie, Emma, and Dee, our producer. Um, Until then, it's ciao. There we go. Terrible ending. Sorry.